Well, we want to continue our series as we are heading towards Easter, which I am pleased to tell you, Easter will not be canceled, because no matter what the world uh, goes through, no matter what uh, is, happens to us, our Lord and Savior is alive, He is resurrected, and uh, we will celebrate that, because uh, that is our, our ultimate uh, purpose of being. Uh, it is because He has risen and has given us life. So... In the process of coming towards that, Jesus himself uh, gave us uh, teachings to prepare our hearts, even as he himself was preparing for that journey to the cross. And so we have been going through the book of Luke and looking at the words of Jesus because the one thing uh, that seems to be uh, a, a common thread through all of this preparation to receive uh, the, the, the salvation and the life and the redemption that Jesus came to give us um, is to do away with the one main barrier, which really is ourself. It is ourself that has separated ourself from God that made it necessary for Jesus to come and uh, redeem us. It was our own selfish desires, our, our desire to rule ourselves, our desire to decide for ourselves. It, it, it is ourself that is the main barrier uh, between receiving uh, the fulfillment and contentment that life was meant to bring to us. And so we've been looking at, at how to destroy this captivity of self, how to uh, begin to put uh, this self down uh, so that we might really receive what we are really trying to, to um, take for ourselves by seeking ourselves. And so we've looked at um, the definition of unselfing ourselves through the example of Jesus at his time of temptation, uh, where he simply submitted all of his desires to God. And we found that, that life is not found uh, in the things of this world but that uh, our own desires, the things that we think we need, the felt needs that we have are not necessarily what we really need, but what we really need comes from God. And Jesus uh, made that great statement that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, that we realize that when we truly seek God, that all the bread of this world, all the riches of this world um, uh, will will never help us until we truly live on that focus of God, that when we begin to make him our, our goal and our purpose, uh, submitting all of our needs to his desires, that is when we truly live. And then we looked at the, the necessity to do away with self-righteousness, because many times uh, we think if we're just good enough, then we can achieve life. If we just work hard enough, or if we just believe in ourselves enough, because uh, we live in this this culture of self-esteem, of individualism, uh, that we are, we are basically good, and if we just tap into that goodness, then we can uh, enjoy life. And Jesus says, I've come for the sick. You see, true redemption is going to come to those who are willing to acknowledge that you're not good enough, uh, that we have to do away with our self-righteousness, that Jesus is the physician that we need. And when we acknowledge our sickness, when we acknowledge that we are sinners, It is amazing how we enter in uh, to a freedom uh, that we never thought we could have. Because we thought we were free uh, ourselves, and yet we didn't even realize that we were sick and lost from God. And and so when we begin to receive Jesus as our physician that we need, when we acknowledge our sickness and our sin, 
we actually open ourselves up for life. And then last week we looked at the fact that um, we need to give up the rule of our life, that we must die to our own control. Um, we looked at the verse that Jesus said that we must deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. Um, too many times we think uh, that we can do it, that we know the best ways for us, and, and yet we must come to that place that we realize that we're not doing as good of a job as we think, uh, that we are leading our own life uh, into a dead end, that we need Jesus to take control of our life, uh, to lead us, that he would be uh, the director of everything that we do. And when we deny ourselves, when we publicly die uh, to our own desires, when we publicly die uh, to our own life, then Jesus leads us into life. Today we're going to move into the next area and we're going to be looking at our disordered loves, to use a phrase from Augustine. Um, one of the things that continues to hold us back from everything God has for us is this idea of the loves in our life. And so we're going to look at a hard scripture today and I, it is one that many people have struggled over and, and we ask ourselves, Jesus, how could you say this and what does it really mean? And so we're going to look at it real quick today in Luke chapter 14, um, beginning in verse 25. He says, and a great multitude went with him and he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation, he is not able to finish it, and all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build but was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you who does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Wow. It seems like Jesus is creating this impossible standard of coming to him. And, and not only a high standard, but but it seems like an unreasonable one. Is not love the very essence of God? And yet he's asking us to hate our father and our mother and our brothers and our sisters and those of our family and everything. It does not seem to match up with who God is. But yet it does. And we're going we're gonna to reveal that. But first of all, before we get into this, this mandate uh, to hate uh, those of our family, there's a, a little phrase that I want to point out at the very beginning it said whoever wishes to come after me I think here's the first thing before we we start arguing or, or worrying about these other things we need to ask what is the reason that he's asking us to do this and he says whoever would come after me and I think we need to ask who are 
we making this decision for? What are we desiring? Why would we want to do this? And it says it, it is because we desire to come after him. So who is it that we are wanting to come after? Who is it that we are following? What is it we're trying to gain by doing this? And when we look at the life of Jesus, and up to this point, all the crowds and all the people have seen who he has shown himself to be. And we see that Jesus has shown himself as he has walked up into this point. He has laid the foundation of revealing himself as he has shown power over sickness. We saw over and over again that Jesus is the one that with a word or with a touch was able to completely heal, to bring life into this physical body. That is what we desire. We desire wholeness. We desire the power to overcome the pains of this life. And that is what Jesus showed us. But not only sickness, we see that Jesus showed power over death. I mean, we saw several times the, the, the young man from the city of Nain, as they were heading out to the graveyard to bury him, he, he reached out and raised him up. Um, we see the, the daughter of a Gentile, uh, not even a Jew, uh, the, the, the Jairus, as he went to his house and raised up the daughter. We see that death is nothing compared to Jesus, that, that Jesus is the one that has Lord over death, that, that uh, we don't have to be afraid of the grave because he brought them back to death. Not only sickness and death, uh, but we see that he had the power over demons, over spiritual things that oppress us. And many of us, we deal with depression and discouragement and the physical, I mean, the spiritual um, uh, struggles that go on in our mind and in our heart. And yet Jesus brought freedom to so many people. Uh, we look, look at, at women like uh, uh, Mary Magdalene, who he set free. He gave her such a freedom from the struggles of her heart and mind uh, that she gave everything. She wept over his feet and poured out the, the most treasured uh, uh, things that she had for him because he gave her that peace. We see the, the demonized man of the Gadarenes that had been pushed out of his home, had been chained up uh, and, and sent to live in, in caves because of the, the chaos that was in his life. And yet God set him free through Jesus. So Jesus says, would you like that freedom? Would you like me to offer you peace, freedom from any spiritual uh, uh, oppression that you face? That is what I offer. Not only that, but we saw that Jesus had power over nature, uh, that he was able to get into that boat when they thought they were dying on the Sea of Galilee and say, peace be still to the winds and the waves, and immediately they stopped. We saw a... a Man who was able to bring relief when there was fear because of what was going on around them in the physical nature. And how many times do we face that now today? Uh, that it seems like the world is going crazy. And yet Jesus, with a word, can stop and direct every part of nature. Probably one of the, the greatest things is that he showed that he had power over sin. Uh, that he could forgive us. He could make us right with God. That the guilt and the shame that maybe no one else knows that we are dealing with, and yet Jesus was able to say, your sins are forgiven. And they didn't believe him. How could you do that? And he said, to show you that I can forgive sins, I will heal. And he said, rise and walk. 
um, uh, so that you will know that I have that power. And so we know that Jesus had the power to give us that ultimate forgiveness and freedom through sin. And then even it's, it's probably not necessary, but this is our God. He goes beyond what we need, and he showed that he had the power to bless us, that he just desired to give us good things. And we see that Jesus had the power to feed those that were hungry, uh, that he multiplied the bread and the fish so that 5,000 ate with plenty left over. And then again, 4,000 ate with plenty left over. He was the one that supplied blessings to us. We know that not only that, but when they were fishing and they could not find any fish with a, with a word, he said, you know, throw your nets on the other side. And they received the blessing of, of a net full of fish, uh, which have, again, blessed them financially and physically in every way. He is the Lord of blessing. Uh, we know that his very first miracle was that he turned water into wine. Was it necessary? No. But yet he was a God who loved to please his children. And so this is what Jesus is offering us. See, I think we forget that, that he says, if anyone would come after me, why would we not want to come after the one who offers all of these things? And yet so many times the things that he asks us to do, we think are so great. The reason we have such a problem with what he asks us to do, the cost of discipleship, is because we have forgotten the promise of who we're following. And I think today if we will, first of all, remember who we're following, the things that he asks of us are nothing compared to who he is. He is the one who gives us love, comfort, uh, purpose, meaning, health, wholeness, freedom in everything that we face. So that's who we follow. And he said, if anyone would follow after me, and then, of course, he says, let him hate his family. Now, when we look at this word hate, it does not really mean a emotional hate. And this is the problem that we, we read this. Um, it, it, of course, does not mean he wants us to hate our family. Um, Jesus loves us. He loves our family. He has put us together. In fact, it, it says that from the very beginning that God desired family. That it was for this reason that, that a man and a wife will come together and become one. And in their unity and through the fan, family, they are a representation of the Trinity and the character of God. So why is Jesus saying this? Well, first of all, we need to look at the meaning of that word hate. And really there's three, three meanings uh, in that day and age that uh, uh, that word means. First of all, the word hate... Uh, that he uses is a legal uh, uh, word, uh, many times used in inheritances. Uh, in other words, uh, a father would die and he would leave his inheritance to the elder son. And the word there was that he loved the elder son and he hated uh, the younger son. Um, but that word hate is a word of priority. It, it has nothing to do with an emotional uh, uh, desire or feeling towards that son it was simply that this is the value and where the value is going that my inheritance is going to my eldest son um, even though I love my younger son uh, but this is the priority and value of life and uh, we have that example um, uh, through uh, even Isaac and Jacob and Esau uh, where uh, the inheritance went to Jacob, the younger son, rather than the older son, Esau. And so throughout the scriptures, it says that Esau was hated and Jacob was loved. 
even though we know in the, in the scripture that Isaac loved Esau probably even more than Jacob. And so it was not an emotional, but it was a choice of value. And I think when Jesus says you must hate your family, it says you must make a choice that I am going to be more valuable to you than your family. I want you to love your family. But the greatest thing you can do for your family, if you truly love your family, is to value me. To realize that I'm your inheritance. I'm the one that gives your meaning, your life meaning and purpose. And as you begin to value Jesus more than your family, that is what opens up the possibility for you to even be a better blessing to your family. And so we must make that choice to choose Jesus over our family as far as our value, uh, that we will value him in everything. The second area is uh, we know that in that day and age, um, uh, they were known by their identity. So not only value, but Jesus is saying you must change your identity uh, from your family. And we know that even though family is important to us now, back then, family was even more important. In fact, it was their identity. We know them. When we read the stories, we, we hear uh, their names were Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, the son of Jonah. They were identified by their family or, or even their, their community. Uh, we know Mary is known as Mary Magdalene from Magdala. Uh, there was identity in who you were connected to, and um, it was not as individualistic as it is today. Um, today, we might know ourselves by our own careers or, or what we do, and yet back then, their, their identity was caught up in family. Um, it wasn't about themselves. It was about family, and yet Jesus was saying, from this point on, you need to understand your identity is in me, that from this point on, and that's why it was a big deal when they called themselves Christians, when they became Christians, they were putting aside their identity from family um, to Christ. And God is calling us, where is our identity? Uh, we have to begin to say, my identity, who I am, I love my family. I am going to bless my family, and we're gonna, we are going to nurture one another and be intimate, but my identity is in Christ. And so this is what he meant by you must hate your family to choose Jesus as your identity. That's where you find your fulfillment and your purpose in life. Are you willing to find identity in Jesus? The third area, when he says hate uh, those around you, it has to do with a question of loyalty, of allegiance. Um, it is a, uh, in this, it is a more of a down-to-earth practical application. Uh, because many times we can value Jesus in our hearts and believe in him and, and live by this philosophy that he's my Lord and we can identify ourselves with Christ uh, and, and, and see ourselves in Christ, but it may not really affect our everyday life because that is a lot of that is inward, but yet it cannot just be inward. Jesus says, if you are going to choose me, yes, it has to be inward, but it also has to be outward. So there must be an outward allegiance, a loyalty that's going to show up when you choose to follow Jesus. And so that's what it means when we hate our family. What we're saying is there comes time that I have to side with God rather than my family or rather than culture or society. Um, we need to begin to realize that there's choices that we make, that when we make a choice, we need to ask ourselves, who am I being loyal to? Am I being more 
uh, loyal to the things of my family or to the things of God. And so this is a very practical uh, way in our life that, that as we direct our, our financial life, our social life, um, uh, even our, our career and what we do, what is motivating the direction of our life? So really this is direction of our life. And if Jesus is who we're coming after, then there are choices that we must side on what God would want rather than what our family wants. And that is hard because many times, many of our lives are directed uh, by the things of family. And we are valuing family over God. Now here's the thing, God wants your family to be valued, but here's the thing that he, he knows that what you're doing for your family is not good enough. Your efforts to nurture your family is in the same way that, that your efforts to nurture yourself are not good enough. That's why we are unselfing ourselves because we realize that we are broken, sinful people. And that if we continue to go our way, we lead ourselves just farther from God. And it's the same way for our family, that unless we begin to make a choice that the direction of my life is going to be for Jesus, then my family is also going to be led away. No matter how intimate your family is, no matter how great your family is, and you spend time together, if it is not being motivated by you choosing God over them, then all we're doing is leading our family away from God. And how great a sacrifice is that. That all the family time and all the things that we do as a family will mean nothing when we stand before God and we answer for the direction that we led our family in. You see, Jesus made this other hard statement and it was in Matthew chapter 10 that he tells us um, in verse 34, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Again, he is not showing a, a uncaring for your family, but he's saying the best thing for your family, unless you die to trying to lead them yourself, then they're going to be lost also. So if you want everything for your family, you have to die to yourself. You have to die to those things, even though they may disagree with you. And here's the point. This is where he said, I've come to bring a sword. He did come to bring peace. The peace is between us and God. But you see, the sword happens when others have not received that same peace. And so when there are others that are not following God in that same way, there is a natural separation between us and them. And it's not that we do not love them, but we cannot go the same direction. 
Um, and, and so it is as we follow Jesus, even though that sword is going to fall in some hard places and many times right in the middle of a family, it is that time that we must love them, but we must sincerely refuse to go the direction that leads away from God. And it's that time when we have to stand up and raise the barrier and say, I've got to choose God over family. And in so doing, I can only pray that God will bring my family in that same direction. And it is when we make that choice that we actually open up the possibility for God to touch our family um, and hopefully draw them into that same direction that we are heading. And so this is what it means to hate our family. It is actually out of love that we choose not to direct our life by our family. We choose not to direct our, 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 our life by the talents of our kids, by the desires of our kids, the interests of our kids, because what kind of person would let, let our kids follow their own interests even to death? Because we've said that ourselves, that our own interests, our own desires lead us to death. Well, it's the same with our children. And so if we in, invest so much time and effort and direction into living according to our, our felt needs and desires of our children or our spouse, then we are denying the very thing that Christ came to free us from, and that is the captivity of ourself. And so I know this is a hard choice to make those choices but if we're going to trust in Jesus, if we are going to trust him to do the work in our family, then we have to step out and say, I will choose my loyalty, my allegiance is going to be to God. And that means the choices financially. That means the schedule that I make. That means the effort that I spend. That means what I spend talking about. I'm going to choose to be uh, loyal and direct myself towards God first. Finally, he says, not only your, your brothers, your sisters, your husband, your wife, your kids, but it says you must even hate your own self. So you see, we're not leaving it just to, to our family. We need to bring our love of ourself back into the right order. We must hate ourself. We must begin to understand, again, and we've talked about this, so we're not going to spend a lot of time about um, we have to pick up our cross and follow him. It is when we lay down our desires and we submit our desires to God's desires. When we take our dreams and we say, God, it's not my dream, but it is your dream. What do you have for me? And we are willing to walk away uh, from those things and trust that God will lead us in his best direction. Here's another one we need to die to our expectations. This is even harder because many times we can die to our dreams and our own desires, but then you know what it is? Then I want to see other people go through the same thing because we expect that, okay, God, if you're making me do it, then you're going to make them do it too. And it's so hard. Many times our expectations are like, well, God, I see other people getting this. Why, why am I going through this hardship? Whether I see other people healed and I'm not healed, or I see other people getting this job and I'm not getting this job. And so sometimes our expectations of comparison lead us away from God. We've got to die to that. We've got to stop wanting this idea of fairness. 
Because see, there is no fairness in that way. That is not fair because what's fair is that we all deserve death. We are all broken. We are all sick. And so we need to begin to die to those expectations. We need to begin to say, God, my life is yours. And you see, Jesus did not ask us to do this outside of what he did because he modeled this for us. Um, and so uh, this, this fact of hating his, his, his family and hating his own life, even while loving them, we see in the life of Jesus. Because Jesus, we know that when his family came to him, uh, they said, your family's outside. And what, he, what did he say? He said, who's my family? My family are those who follow and seek after God. And yet he loved his family. And we know that he loved Mary to the very end. And yet he chose God over her. He never let any of those loves impinge upon his love for the Father. We also saw love for his own life did not get in the way. He, he came to the Garden of Gethsemane facing the cross and he said, God, take this away from me, but not my will, thy will be done. And then he went to the cross with the joy in his heart knowing that he was redeeming us. And so in the same way, are we willing to follow Jesus by choosing him over our family? By realizing that the best, greatest hope for my family is Jesus. And so I cannot give in to the, the direction of, of just living for my family when I know that Jesus is the only hope for my family. Even if it causes problems, even if it causes separation at times with some of my family that don't agree with me or they think that, that I am causing them to miss out. I have to leave that in God's hand and I cannot worry about how they feel because I have to trust that Jesus is their best and greatest hope and the Holy Spirit will, will move in their life. I want to close with this verse in Revelations 12. He talks about at the very end when all the saints were around the throne in glory, receiving all the life that God has for them. It says these are the overcomers. These are the ones that overcame this world and sin, and they have now received the inheritance of God. That's what we're longing for, that time when we are going to receive all that Jesus has to offer us. But it says this, that they overcame by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, because they did not love their own life even unto death. So if we are going to overcome, if we are going to receive all the things that I know we're trying to get ourselves, we've got to put our trust in the blood of the Lamb. That's first and foremost. He's the only one that can make life worthwhile. He's the only one that can get us what we're really trying to reach for ourselves. But the second thing is, we've got to stop loving our life, even if it means our death. Even unto death. See, it's hard enough for us to lose money or things or reputation or the love of others. But Jesus says, if you want to overcome, let me tell you, it's not worth it. When we stop loving ourselves more than Christ, even if it costs us our life, it says you become an overcomer. And you will never regret it. And it is only then that hopefully we will bring our family with us to the very throne room of God and worship before him together. May we learn 
to reorder our loves, that we will stop loving these other things greater than God, but even the closest things to us, let us reorder our love. It's not that we stop loving, but we reorder them, putting God first. And not just first very close, by a long shot, he becomes the focus, becomes so much our love that everything else means nothing. And it's in doing that that we actually love all those others around us. And God will honor that, and God will bless your life, and we will see glimpses of his glory even now, but we will really receive that glory at the end of this lifetime. And we must put our trust in him, we put our hope in him, and we begin to walk in patience, knowing that God is working all things together for good. If we will trust him, and if we are called to his purposes rather than our own. Let me pray for you.